You are listening to 89.3 FM, KPFB in Berkeley, or Occupied Huchin, and this is We Rise. Yeah, this, this is, this is. Way up, I'm going way up. 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 We Rise is collaboration. A collective of voices. A cross-pollination of communities. We are collaborators seeking to create socially conscious work that inspires collective liberation. We Rise are cultural producers who embody solidarity, theory in the flesh, and aspire to heartfelt, prayerful offerings to the freedom movement of our time. In order to rise, we must know where we stand, where we come from. They say some stories need to wait to be told, but I need a way to unfold. All of the way to the people before me who never got chances to speak from their soul. That's why when I'm speaking it cold, mama's degrees ain't valid or so. We never agree to be lesser than gold, cause in our most basic of element, no, we shine. The show is a tribute to our ancestors, our foremothers and fathers, the souls who've given us life, who've shaped our movements, those known and unknown. While we offer gratitude to individuals, we know our movements are not built upon singular great leaders. They are built by the many, uniting despite the divide and conquer status quo. We honor those who have come before us in struggle and in resilience. Their words, manifestos of promise, dedication, fortitude, and humility breathe life into our movements. Like Dr. Cornell West, public intellectual and theologian who said, Justice is what love looks like in public. Crucial, indispensable, bringing together the best of the legacy of Athens, the best of the legacy of Jerusalem, but in the New World context in which legacies of slavery, Jim Jane Crow, police brutality, lynching, discrimination, redlining and bank loans, on and on and on. Always connecting one's vision about one's own freedom to the plight and predicament of others. Sisters of all colors, gay brothers, lesbian sisters, physically challenged brothers, indigenous brothers and sisters, so that they all constitute overlapping and intertwining traditions of struggle but knowing that the courage to think critically and the courage to love. I think we need to talk publicly about the courage to love. That's what I love about the best of the black freedom movement.
This is We Rise on 89.3 FM KPFB, and that was Janelle Monet, Deep Cotton, Saint Beauty, Jadena, Roman Gian Arthur, and George 2.0 with Hell You Tom Bout. As Dr. Cornell West and the miraculous voices of the Black Lives Matter movement remind us, in order to do this work, we must know where we come from. What has been done? Why we are here. How we got here. We must understand the past and present in order to navigate and co-create the future. While the words of phenomenal human beings guide and nourish us, so too do other forms of life, plant, animal, water, sky, spirit, and land. You will hear us repeat the refrain that our work, at this point in time, springs from occupied Huchin, known by settlers as Berkeley, California. Why do we keep saying Huchin? What do we mean? To honor the land and the first people of this place we call home, we offer a feature from the event called Living on a Lonely Land that took place in Oakland, also occupied Hu Chin, in August of this year. We are the tribe that they cannot see. We live on an industrial reservation. We are the Halusa Nation. We have been called the Indians. We have been called Native American. What is the name of the land you are on? Who are the first human inhabitants of that place? I am the speaker for the Confederated Villages of Lashan. My ancestry is from here in the Bay Area. I um, have been working on the protection and preservation of sacred sites in the Bay Area for the last 20 years of my life. I grew up in this territory called Huchin, and Huchin encompasses five Bay Area cities. It encompasses almost all of Oakland, Berkeley, Emeryville, Alameda, and El Cerrito. We have been here forever. We are the Halusa Nation. We the voice and wisdom of one of the most cherished activists of the American Indian movement, John Trudell, heard here in a tribe called Red's track, We Are the Halusa Nation, was echoed by the four indigenous grandmothers who took the stage at the first congregational church in Huchin, so-called Oakland, California, in August of 2017. 
The event was called Living on Ohlone Land. Its purpose? To demonstrate how to be in right relation with land and with indigenous peoples. To challenge the entitlement of settlers. To acknowledge the fact that all of the so-called United States is stolen land and this theft is ongoing. And to share the work that local native-led organizations are already doing in the fight for self-determination and to protect the earth. The four panelists included Karina Gould, Ohlone, representing the Confederated Villages of Lishan, Ruth Orta, Ohlone, Bay Miwok, and Plains Miwok, Anne-Marie Sayers, Mutsun Ohlone, and Tribal Chairperson for Indian Canyon Nation, and Chief Kaleen Sisk, Winnemumwintu. Before the panelists made their introductions, Pua Case, protector of sacred mountain Mauna Kea in Hawaii, offered a prayer as part of the opening protocol. She expressed gratitude and humility to the Ohlone people for allowing her on their land. It is critical to note that her prayer was recorded with permission, as it is invasive and insulting to document native ceremony without permission. Karina Gould spoke directly about the occupation of Turtle Island, the North American continent, and about right relations of reciprocity with indigenous peoples. When people come into your territory, it's about what you can do. That's what we're asking. What is the reciprocity? How do you come and be guests on someone's land? I think we have to acknowledge that every inch of Turtle Island, what is now called the United States, is land that is occupied by someone else. I think that one of the things that we talk about when we talk about protocol, that it springs to being humble, that you come into this land in a humble way, that, you, that it speaks and it shapes the work that we do, that this land is alive, that your ego comes out of it because there are people here before you and there will be people here after you. And that when we do protocol, we're acknowledging those people that stand before you, but those people that will be ahead of them, those people that came before you did, those people in the future and, be and behind us. So for me, it really talks about what it does it mean that we as human beings on this land right now are the bridge, right, between the past and the present. I have come to build a bridge, so come, let's build. Build, build, build. I have come to build a bridge, so come, let's build. Build, build, build. I have come to build. We have built specific bridges with our Pacific brothers and sisters. Um, we are California native people, and our grandmother. Uh, the Pacific touches our lands and it touches theirs as well. And when we, whenever I have been asked about protocol, for the most part, to be welcomed into my land, it has been our, my Pacific brothers and sisters, Hawaiians, Maori, West Papuan, Tongan, Samoan, all of these people have asked permission to be on, on this territory. And it is because of that that we can remember what does that look like because so many things have been taken away. And to remember a protocol when someone used to come to our territories, how they would light a fire and they would wait for that smoke to go up until someone came to get them. And they would wait at the edge of that territory 
for whatever was needed, while people in the village got ready for them to get there. Then they asked to come into the village, and when they were asked to come into the village, they were fed, and they were, and there were songs, and there were stories, and there was gambling maybe, you know? And then after all of that stuff happens, then you ask, what is it that you came to our territory for? And they may have come to our territory to get food or to get medicine or to visit someone else that's on the other side of our territory. Maybe they came looking for a husband or a wife. Maybe they came for other things. But it wasn't until you went through all of that process of getting to know someone and sitting with them and eating with them and, and praying with them before you actually figured out what it is that they came for. So we think about those protocols that happened a long time ago. It took a lot longer than what we're able to do in three minutes, crossing the bridge and rush hour traffic to get there to say a prayer for somebody that we don't know. So to acknowledge that while you're on somebody else's land. Come to build a bridge, so come let's build. Build, 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 I am come to build a bridge, so come let's build. Build, 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 I am come to build a bridge, so come let's that is the voice of Nako Bear and Medicine for the People with their song Build a Bridge. They were not present at the event Living on a Lonely Land, but they were mentioned amongst other artists who are spreading the message of indigenous resistance and solidarity. What is going on here, on Huchin, on Ohlone Land? How are Ohlone people resisting the ongoing occupation and decimation of their home? How can other indigenous people and settlers show support and practice consensual allyship? Here is Karina Gould. There's a developer that wants to put five stories of mixed use on top of this uh, sacred place. Our shell mounds once ringed the entire Bay Area. There were more than 425 of them. These are places that are in the Bay Area that you wouldn't know about. So this place, this very special place in West Berkeley needs to be preserved and protected, and we need your help. When the same time that Standing Rock was happening in North Dakota, my Standing Rock was right here in the Bay Area. I need allies, accomplices, other indigenous people to stand right alongside me when those bulldozers, if those bulldozers come. I need people to be willing to, to put money for lawyers so that we can stop this development. We need the money that was going outside of our community to stay in our community too. We need all of those things. The indigenous women's land trust that we are creating here is because we are a non-federally recognized tribe. We have to buy back our land. Lots of times we have people that'll say, why haven't the Ohlone stood up long time ago? Because we were running from being killed. We are. Because people are coming forward right now because it's safe for us to do it. Because we have people that want our stories because we are now interesting to y'all, okay? We were doing this work, our ancestors have been praying for us. 
And every time we pray, we pray for the next seven generations. We are the Halusa Nation. Our DNA is of earth and sky. Karina Gould, Anne-Marie Sayers, Ruth Orta, and Chief Colleen Sisk, the events for panelists, are living legacies of Native California women who are defending indigenous self-determination and protecting their tribal territory right here in the so-called Bay Area. Winona LaDuke, Anishinaabe from Minnesota, is another living legacy. Internationally renowned speaker, writer, and founder of Honor the Earth, she spoke on Coast Miwok land, so-called Point Reyes, in March of 2017 at the Geography of Hope conference. Her words illuminate a path forward. And then they said that this time would come. It was called the time of the seventh fire. And in that time, they said that we as Anishinaabe people, as where I'm from, Anishinaabe territory, that we would have a choice between two paths. And one would be well-worn but scorched. And the other path would not be well-worn and it would be green. And it would be our choice upon which path to embark. And we would be these people who no longer had historical amnesia. We would be these people who did not have ecological amnesia. We would be these people who knew who we were that would make this choice. And I really believe that that is where we all are, this moment in time, this moment in time where we have this opportunity to make, to make those decisions and to make that choice. For Full Circle, this is Kat Petru. You are listening to We Rise on 89.3 FM KPFB in Berkeley, or as you just heard, occupied Ohlone land known as Huchin. We haven't formally introduced ourselves. We are your hosts for the hour. I'm Catherine Petru. And I'm Nicole Gervasio. This is our intro show, a tribute to our ancestors and our co-conspirators. Though Kat and I met through dance, the importance of which we'll discuss later in the broadcast, our connection and our work deepened throughout our participation in Grassroots Adult Freedom School, Liberation Spring. The founder of Liberation Spring, Anjali Nath Upadhyay, remains a tremendous source of inspiration for the work that we do. Indeed, she is a co-conspirator. And in fact, every other week on We Rise, we'll share the Liberation Spring podcast, Feral Visions. Feral Visions is a decolonial feminist podcast hosted by Anjali that shares consciousness raising, analysis, current affairs, and unlearning from some of the most provocative visionaries in our movements. I had the delight of speaking with Anjali about popular education and its vital significance at this time, drawing upon her experience founding Liberation Spring as an example. In our discussion, Anjali explains the terms consciousness raising and decolonial. These terms are foundational to We Rise and to the process of collective liberation. Academically trained as a political scientist, philosopher and educator with a steadfast commitment to learning and teaching as practices of liberation. We're pretty confident Anjali's words will illuminate and inspire. Here is Kat speaking with Anjali Nath Upadhyay. Anjali, what got you into popular education? I could answer that question on a number of different levels. 
So my father's family, the Upadhyas, have always been teachers. In Sanskrit, our surname means educator from a certain region of the Ganga River. So a lifetime of devotion to seeking and sharing wisdom has been passed down in our blood for generations. And individually, I've always been an unapologetic nerd. I feel deeply alive when learning and sharing curiosity and was told by folks since I was little that I'd become a teacher. As a teen and young adult getting into activism and community organizing then, I was interested in consciousness, the process of unlearning and what makes transformation most likely. The role of education, of getting people to the point where they can step into deeper integrity into embodying justice has always fascinated me and been at the core of my calling. Then professionally, I've been in higher education for my entire career and am now a recovering academic, so to speak. Unfortunately, we know that the academy is mostly inaccessible, perpetuates the status quo, has been corporatized, especially in the past few decades, is increasingly neoliberal, uh, and administrated, administered, uh, run by folks that actually don't even have backgrounds in education, quite broadly. To me, good education needs to be accessible. So I remember hearing from an auntie that my mother, for example, never found feminist spaces that were accessible to her as a mother during the feminist movement of their youth. So part of me has wondered for my entire life since then, if only the feminist spaces around her had been more welcoming, especially of her as a mother, if she might still be alive today. If she'd have had the supportive and transformative experience that so many of us have had, especially in feminist community spaces, if she'd have had the strength to leave an abusive relationship. So that vision of my mother as a struggling poor mom desperately in need of supportive community to get free infuses this non-negotiable requirement and priority for me uh, that any educational space that I create be child-friendly from the beginning. Uh, if it's not accessible to parents, like frankly, much of the dominant educational system is in this country, I'm personally not as committed to pouring my heart and soul into that kind of system. Uh, so, and since I'm not a parent myself, I also see that prioritizing of accessibility as a really important way to stand in solidarity with parents and with families who, of course, also deserve education. So familially, personally, politically, and professionally, education has always been my thing. Can you please tell us what is Liberation Spring? Sure. It's a grassroots adult freedom school that started in 2015 and occupied Huchen, known by most settlers as the Bay Area in California. And LS offers group classes and individualized curriculum in the service of decolonial social change. So we fuse the best of old school feminist consciousness raising and social movement style popular education, in addition to other learning uh, approaches that take seriously practicing freedom through our unlearning and learning, that definitely also include land and water-based work, so rethinking schools and the classroom as the primary site of learning. It's also explicitly a place where we get to learn from the wisdom of all of our ancestral brilliance. 
So in the academy in the U.S. today, the vast majority of curricula being taught still in 2017 is overwhelmingly Eurocentric and heteropatriarchal. So not just, say, learning from publications that were authored by white men, although that is typically still the case in the humanities and social sciences, but also more broadly learning from intellectual traditions that actually still presume that men writing and practicing in Western Europe somehow have more intelligent things to say than our ancestors from all of the rest of the planet throughout all of the rest of recorded human history. That's just frankly anti-intellectual. And some of us are in a place considering all of the social, political, economic, ecological, spiritual crises of a moment such as this um, to have to make it plain and call when the emperor has no clothing and move beyond that level of anti-intellectualism fronting as intelligence in so much of the academy today to actually create spaces that move beyond that kind of mediocrity, so to speak, to actually invite ourselves into a much deeper level of intellectual dedication, devotion, and rigor. Can you tell us what you mean exactly by decolonial? Mm-hmm. By that I mean writing the historical and contemporary wrong of settler colonialism. So that original systemic violence to this continent and the first peoples of this continent. We need educational spaces today that are unapologetically decolonial, that take seriously the need for literal decolonization. And this has enormous political, economic, social, and ecological implications. So folks being honest about the U.S. being a settler colonial empire and having, again, accessible, intellectually rigorous spaces to come together to unlearn that colonial propaganda that we're saturated in in this place. And then once we've gotten to a place, right, of honestly unlearning so much of that dominant white noise that we're saturated in within this mainstream culture, being in a place to then be able to remember alternatives that we have inherited from our ancestors, not to romanticize them, but to glean what traditions do need to be cultivated and nourished and taken very seriously in this moment in time as a part of our survival, let alone thriving, uh, and additionally being in a place to be able to collectively imagine and learn alternatives for us to quite literally get free. So you also mentioned the phrase consciousness raising, sort of specifically referencing um, part of the feminist movement, I think you said in the 60s. Would you mind explaining a bit more about what consciousness raising is? Absolutely. Uh, So, of course... My personal use of that term is somewhat twofold or multivalent. I'm first and foremost uh, with any conversation around liberation and consciousness talking about my personal ancestral traditions of understanding those terms that definitely predate whether it is, say, Uh, a particular form of pedagogy that became popular in uh, the 50s, 60s, 70s in the women's movement in the United States, uh, or a sort of Western European-centered understanding of liberation. So for me personally, um, there are definitely, right, multiple entry points into making meaning out of those concepts. 
Uh, but certainly when I'm talking about, say, wanting to really honor the feminist movement of days past, the particular paradigm of consciousness raising that I'm speaking to there, uh, a lot of people associate with, say, coming together in homes, in circles, say, in a certain right racial and socioeconomic space, maybe uh, white middle class women having read uh, Betty Friedan's The Feminine Mystique and taking seriously in her language that problem that had no name and in ways that were accessible to them, whether it was around kitchen tables or elsewhere, really learning the way in which so many of the personal challenges and obstacles that they might have been experiencing in their lives weren't actually individualistic, certainly weren't actually rooted in some kind of personal problem or issue that they might have the way that dominant gaslighting or crazy making then and now would have us believe, rather personalizing the political. So really taking that idea seriously, recognizing the way in which even our notions of the personal and the political are always already interconnected and not getting hustled into the mis- this mythology that there's the personal and right the public mm-hmm. or the private and the public sphere are somehow normal and natural. That's just untrue historically. Uh, and so taking it back again, doing something that's frankly more intellectually rigorous than that, also just more realistic than that, honoring that there are systemic and there are institutional sources and reasons, right, causes that explain so much suffering that folks quite often can experience at the individual level. Um, And if they're in a place like the USA, where we're socialized to perceive very individualistically, but not to necessarily understand systemic injustice, or institutional oppression can quite often victim blame, right, then turn what could otherwise be, say, righteous indignation that could fuel societal transformation for the better inward into, say, depression, horizontal hostility, being divided and conquered. So when I talk about consciousness raising, I'm definitely wanting to appreciate uh, a certain right form of unlearning that especially in the feminist movements in the United States has come before. So wanting to sort of uh, pay due and respects where appropriate and where necessary to the work of mothers, foremothers, foregrandmothers um, that have right created this legacy and this tradition that some of us are carrying on. Thank you. So in some ways, you've spoken to this, but please tell us more about why Liberation Spring was created. For sure. LS was started to support folks in sharpening their analyses, their praxis, their solidarity skills, and understanding of how that systemic transformation I was speaking to actually occurs. I'm really concerned about how inaccessible community-determined education is in the U.S. these days and wanted to create an alternative to the expensive, elitist, academic status quo. It's something that I've been fantasizing about with buddies for over 12 years. Really specifically, at that point in time, at the end of 2015, I knew a number of folks who yearned for a community to learn and unlearn in. It was also important for me to continue that legacy of incredible, life-saving, autonomous education that I've been able to learn so much through in different moments in my life. 
When I was younger, I was able to participate in, for example, the most amazing book study starting at the age of 20 that lasted for years, uh, then was able to participate in and start contributing to the creation of so many different DIY or do-it-yourself community-based educational events and spaces. So after having learned so much from these spaces, just as much, if not more, by the way, as from any of my graduate degrees, uh, from folks that have poured exhaustive time and energy into the creation of those spaces, uh, it's been really important for me to be able to give back in that same capacity to appreciate and to recognize all of that labor that folks poured their hearts and their souls into those kinds of spaces for those of us that are committed to seeking truth, to unlearning propaganda. And it was important for me that for folks in this time and space, especially young women of color, to be able to access those kinds of spaces too. One of the reasons why right now I see this work as so necessary is because of how astoundingly anti-intellectual the dominant society is, especially pop cultural spaces. So it's also really important for me, and I see it as part of my responsibility as an educator, to create spaces, especially again for younger women of color, but for all peoples, where we get to be and play with and move into and embody unapologetic brilliance, even into the way that we communicate with ourselves, how we understand ourselves uh, to create vibrant subcultures where we can be unapologetic nerds, where we can be unabashed about not only loving learning and loving the sharing of curiosity, but intentionally putting that to the service of our collective liberation. Thank you. What have some challenges, if any, been with the project so far? Mm -hmm. So like so many grassroots projects, funding has definitely <laughs> been a challenge thus far. Mm -hmm. If folks would like to donate, liberationspring.com, please mm -hmm. do. So for the meantime, can you just give us a little bit of information about what Liberation Spring has coming up in the future? Uh-huh. I'm incredibly excited to be offering some more robust online programming, actually. So I'm in the process of building out an all online pilot of one Liberation Spring class that is currently called Just Pleasure, Revolutionary Approaches to the Erotic, that will then be available to folks outside of the Bay from anywhere in the world, regardless of your schedule. I'm also really looking forward to mentoring more folks who are wanting to either start or grow their own popular educational programs within their neighborhoods and communities and groups of friends and networks. So that could be the kind of consciousness raising group that I mentioned earlier. It could be a book study. It could start out as a documentary film series. It could be a free university. It could be another freedom school similar to Liberation Spring. But that is frankly vital work in in this moment in time amidst all of the challenges that we're facing. And so I also see that as part of my responsibility as an educator that has studied liberatory approaches to education in my research for over a dozen years to be able to make that material available, not just right on campuses in peer-reviewed journals that many people might not ever access or read in their lives, but to as many people as are interested in actually taking seriously educating 
ourselves, unlearning the poison, planting the seeds of inspiration to continue to learn in whatever ways are most accessible to their communities and appropriate to whatever the needs and the challenges are that they're facing. How can folks be in touch with you or get involved? Feel free to email us at liberationspring at gmail.com. You can also check out the website at liberationspring.com. We're also on Facebook if you look up Liberation Spring. Our Twitter handle is libspring. And you can definitely donate on the site again at liberationspring.com. Fabulous. Anjali, thank you so very much for your time. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You are listening to We Rise on KPFB 89.3 FM in Berkeley. Occupied Huchin. I am Kat Petru, and that was my conversation with Anjali Nathupadhyay, founder of Grassroots Adult Freedom School Liberation Spring. On our introductory show, we are honoring the forebears of the liberation movements of our time. Women who write pump fortitude into my spirit like iron into blood. Their words oxygenate my cells. People who make music light me up. As author, documentary filmmaker, activist, and scholar known for her novel The Salt Eaters, Toni Cade Bambara said, the role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. That is exactly what we seek to do here on We Rise, to nourish our imaginations in service of collective liberation. As the late revolutionary activist and philosopher Grace Lee Boggs said, there are times when expanding our imagination is what is required. So where did the name We Rise come from? In part, it came from a rush of memory spawned by the late great visionary Maya Angelou's poem, And Still I Rise. We rise. You may write me down in history with your bitter twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom just because I walk as if I have oil wells pumping in my living room, just like suns and like moons with the certainty of tides, just like hope springing high, still I rise. Did you want to see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries? Does my sassiness upset you? <laughs> Don't take it so hard just because I laugh. <laughs> As if I have gold mines digging in my own backyard. You can shoot me with your words. You can cut me with your lies. You can kill me with your hatefulness. But just like life, I'll rise. Does my sexiness offend you? Oh. Does it come as a surprise that I dance? As if I have diamonds at the meeting of my thighs. Out of the huts of history's shame I rise. Up from a past rooted in pain I rise. A black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise into a daybreak miraculously clear. I rise, bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. I am the hope and the dream of the slave. And so, naturally, 
Asparago Rising. That was Maya Angelou, of course, reading her bedazzled, dazzling work, And Still I Rise. This is We Rise on 89.3 FM KPFB, and we are discussing the roots of our name in our intro show, which is a tribute to our ancestors on this path of collective liberation. Maya is not the only inspired poet we will share this hour. Here is my beloved co-host, co-founder, co-conspirator, Nicole Gervasio, sharing her memory, passion, and vision with her work, Everything Left Behind. This one is the most recent poem I've written. It's called Everything Left Behind, and I made this really long collage when I was in college dedicated to my grandmother, and it's based off of memory, and I'll just leave it at that. What survived were our bodies, our hearts, our blood, our bones, our skin who thirsts to hold the sun, our lungs blessed by shared breath, as we inhale each other in greeting. They left us strength consumed from our fingertips. Our stomachs become steel nourished by warm love that settles in the food we eat. They gave us two mouths, soft lips with sharp speak. Resistance in our blood rides the rivers on the backs of both hands in these life-giving walls in our memory-bearing wombs. Can you tell us more about your grandmother? My grandmother's name was Hopelina and she was a feisty soul. She is the reason why my mom's lineage is here. She fought very young to ensure that her kids and her future generations would make it to the United States because for them, that meant security and safety and success. She held it down in their home while they were guerrilla fighters, you know, out in the grasses, and her husband was off working. He was a civil engineer. So she was the only person at the home to protect her children. And what I hold most about this grandmother is that I carry her with me everywhere. She's the inspiration in a lot of my art, in the way that I live my life. Many kids born of immigrants know that feeling of like sacrifice that their family made to make it. And her sacrifice is not forgotten with me. She's my muse, my inspiration. America, break your backs for dollars they don't carry ya. Seven thousand miles away from home with language barriers. Land of opportunity, tell me is it good to you? But six feet deep on stolen land is where they bury in November 1991. Papa came here with a wife, two daughters, no money, but they wanted them a better life. Peace to their name, so they piecing up the pain. Ain't no peace in the position as an immigrant is pain. For a piece of that Americana pie, you're for the cream. To a piece of dream they sold you, but it only was a dream. For a piece of mind to thinking that my mama could be seen. As an equal, not a foreign immigrant or in between. I was a kid in the sky, nothing but dreams in her eyes, hoping that we would survive. But mama, those were the times they telling us compromise. They always feeding us lies, made to believe I don't exist unless I wear a disguise. Cause I be constantly lied to, broken down till I cry, till I no longer recognize the person that was inside. Until we fade like the sun and we forget where we're from. Then we still fade till it's done and never question it once. So mama, tell me we won, the person that I become. I have a sore for a tongue in the skin that shines in the sun and because. The place that I'm from is still lingers deep on my tongue And so every word that's from my lungs can hold the weight of a ton If I'm ever slipping, I'm never looking down I do it for myself till the end to hold it down And even when I'm 
sinking. I'm never looking down. I do this for myself till the end I'll hold it down, yeah. Mama won't make it in America. Mama won't make it in America. Yeah, mama won't make it in America. I swear, yeah, yeah, yeah. You are listening to We Rise on 89.3 FM KPFB on Occupied Hu Chin, or so-called Berkeley. That was local artist Ruby Ibarra with 7,000 Miles. You heard her song Skies at the opening of the show as well. Both tracks are off her new album, Circa 91, which was just released this week. This is our intro show, paying homage to our ancestors, those whose light illuminates the path of collective liberation. And that was my co-host, Nicole Gervasio, sharing the memory of her grandmother, Hopelina. It's not often that I talk about her, so it's been an honor to share. The importance of family is strong in Filipino culture, as it is in many cultures, respecting elders and learning from them. I'm curious to know what roots and ancestors inspire you in your life. Are there people whose memory ignites your passions and your work? Yes, so many. Here's what I'll share for now. This season in Liberation Spring is called After U.S. Empire. In it, we interrogate the fabric of the Military Industrial Complex, or MIC, or Mike. As we continue to learn more about this complex system of mass murder and violence, We Rise will air segments and stories as part of the effort to abolish the military-industrial complex or hashtag drop drop the the mic. (laughs) Inspired by an inquiry about my relationship with militarism, I wrote the following response. So here is my brief story. A woman gets off a train in northern Czechoslovakia. She is young, maybe 16 years old. She is with her younger sister and her mother. Her father and brother are not there. The Nazi guard towering before her points for her mother to walk away, to a different line, to a different camp, to a different fate. This woman, girl, 16-year-old, stands before the Nazi guard and tells him no. I do not know what was said or in what language. Nana spoke many. But my grandmother stood before a Nazi guard and refused to let her mother be taken from her. I do not know if she knows that her mother was being sent to a death camp, but I know that in that moment, Nana won. She and her mother and her sister stayed together. They survived. There are so many details I still do not know and many more stories to be told. But if my relationship with militarism can meet the no of my grandmother before that Nazi guard, then I am doing her legacy justice. Thank you for sharing that story. It's so very powerful. In this breath of a memory, I can see who you come from and the potency of your inspiration. There are countless untold stories and unknown memories, but when we know our histories, our roots, and where we come from, we remember what's worth living for and, if necessary, what's worth fighting for, especially when we reflect on our experiences around militarism. None of our histories are untouched by this violence. Until we free ourselves of this system, history will continue to repeat itself. That's why we must... Hashtag drop the the mic! Put on your King David armor Get ready to fight this revolution Put on your 
collaboration a collective of voices a cross-pollination of communities we are collaborators seeking to create socially conscious work that inspires collective liberation we rise are cultural producers who embody solidarity theory in the flesh and aspire to heartfelt prayerful offerings to the freedom movement of our time including abolishing the military industrial complex Thanks to Morgan Heritage's track, Talking About War, which you just heard for their added inspiration. As mentioned, Nikki and I met dancing. And the collaboration that birthed We Rise was our project called Hashtag Dancers Against Dapple. We wanted to use our ferocity and passion as dancers and our vision as students of decolonization and justice to raise awareness about the battle at Standing Rock against the Dakota Access Pipeline and its ties to the fight for indigenous self-determination on local soil. Which you heard a bit about in our feature from Living on Ohlone Land. Please do visit the West Berkeley Shell Mound page on Facebook to learn more and stay connected to that struggle. A huge foundation of the work that we do as we rise is connecting the dots between the personal and the political. As Anjali Natupadia spoke to in our discussion about consciousness raising, even if we're only concerned with our own individual freedom, it is imperative that we perceive with clarity the fact that the personal is always political. And of course, we know that we are all interconnected, which is why We Rise came together to incite awareness and action in dismantling the oppression and violence we face as a global community in the 21st century. 
Our interconnectedness reminds us that what we do locally has a global impact and vice versa. This reality speaks to yet another central theme of our work, solidarity. As Leela Watson, Murray visual artist, activist, and academic says, If you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. In the following clip, you'll hear Leela Watson speak to the Movement for Indigenous Self-Determination and Sovereignty on so-called Australia, the land of her people. She speaks to the seduction of Western culture and the problem of assimilation. If people assimilate and don't remember where they come from, they are lost. Colonization infects our minds, hearts, and spirits. The personal is political. She speaks to the need to decolonize and to connect with freedom struggles not only of our own socially constructed identity groups, or even on this continent, but worldwide. We know that the event of colonialism has interfered so much in our lives that lots of people have turned, have taken up white terms of reference to live by. Whereabouts, Aboriginal terms of reference to me is what Aboriginal people will guide them to what a treaty is mm, and how right. mm. we are going to negotiate living in this country. Mm, mm. And to me, Aboriginal people there's a lot of confusion amongst a lot of our people, and sometimes they're operating on white terms of reference. Yes, that's right. And sometimes they're operating on Aboriginal terms of reference. And at the same time, the government is battering us all the time with assimilationist yes. leadership things and this education and everything else as battering Aboriginal people to be assimilated and become like white Australians. Mm, so yeah. as far as I'm concerned, this causes the confusion, especially in young, young, young people, people. Mm. Who, who cannot see any positiveness, any, in, in, anything positive for themselves in the future. And it leads to these dreadful things of suicide yes, and, yeah. and, you know, drugs and alcohol and so on. Because they cannot, they cannot see a positive future for themselves. And also, a lot of those young people getting dragged into white terms of reference and see them, you know, they want to join in with what the, with the Western society. It's very seductive, uh, you know, very seductive, and that's yeah. understandable. And that's why we need to arm our young people with cultural knowledge mm, in terms of and reference. build their strength in order to see that we can work towards a positive future and mm. we can have a treaty. That was Murray visual artist, activist, and scholar Leela Watson, and this is We Rise on 89.3 FM KPFB on Occupied Huchin. As we near the end of our show today, we leave you with seedlings, questions to inspire curiosity and imagination. Through creativity, fierce love, and unapologetic resistance, we offer our work as nourishment for collective liberation, to be dispersed like dandelion seeds in our own communities and beyond. This show isn't about me and Nikki. This show is about us. What are the ways we can show up for justice? What do we each have to offer to the freedom movements of our time? How can we realize our divine potential and create radical social change? What footprints will we leave on this planet? How can we honor the legacy of our ancestors with humility and dignity and respect? As one of our dear friends says, it takes vulnerability and courage to do this work. We all have the capacity to be vulnerageous. 
we invite you to contribute your brilliance to We Rise. You can get in touch with us on our Facebook page at Dances Revolutionary or email us at dancesrevolutionary at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Sunday at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for the premiere episode of Feral Visions brought to you by Liberation Spring. Feral Vision's first guest will be Dr. Sarah Hunt, and she'll speak with Anjali Nathupadia about remembering and recreating cultures of consent. Have a beautiful weekend. say